Welcome again, everybody. I just wanted to say how much I just am thankful for Tim and his heart to worship. It always impacts me when I uh, think about some of these songs that he chooses. I love Phil Wickham and the way that he just, he writes incredible, intimate worship songs. But as we're talking today, and we're going back into this place of love in a broken world, I wanted us to think about just in real life, like when we think about Mr. Rogers and the way that Mr. Rogers interacted with children, with, with uh, people, the way that he orientated himself in time. Did he edit himself? Did he create all these things? Or was it a place where he intently just had the intention of acknowledging another person? Did he not care about what it made him look like so that he could ultimately see his goal fulfilled of loving those individuals? Because even like in the movie and in the TV show, I remember a time when he, he honored this little kid who was in a wheelchair, loved him so long that they couldn't actually help him set up the tent. So he's like, oh, well, anyways, I'm going to set up the tent on the thing on the actual live set. And so he starts trying to set up the tent, but he can't set up the tent because he doesn't know how to. So he's just like squeezing it on the thing. And everybody on the TV show get to see him make the mistake live. But even when you see, they're like, let's cut it. We'll do it again in the movie about him. And he said, no. Sometimes we need to ask for help. Sometimes we have to even see that the goal isn't to be right. The goal is the journey. And today, as we're talking through the same Love in a Broken World, this is kind of the last sermon in this series. Next week will be a transitional sermon. Um, I really I wanted to come back to that place where Even in this broken world, God has promised us that we would get to see his glory. He's promised us we'll partake in it. I think that there's a really interesting thing that happens with all of us. We might believe, even those things are real, we might even have beliefs that we want to participate with that sometimes our actions don't say that's true. There's sometimes... We even have good intentions and we'll do an action. I don't know about you, but it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. Like, I am married to Bethany. And Bethany is the biggest sweetheart. I I decided to take the kids out so she could sleep in one morning. I let her sleep in. And as I let her sleep in, me and the kids are out, I come back in. She told me, Stefan, don't you know that baby Stefan had a doctor appointment this morning? You let me sleep in past the doctor appointment. I was like, oh dang. I just wanted to let you rest. But she was like, 
we didn't do the doctor appointment. My intention was to do something so good, but what ended up happening is it didn't turn out so hot for me. Or if we talk about something a little bit more in context, we sometimes try to correct people, especially about political views or racial issues like we've been talking about, and we end up insulting the person through what we say versus actually help them see our point. We don't make them feel heard, we make them feel dominated. And in that place, we set out to do something good, but we ended up doing something not so good. Going to following Christ, I think there's a lot of times that we have good intentions in doing certain things, be it trying to procure holiness, or even like when we talked earlier in the sermon series about the place where we don't want to just quote Bible verses at people. I think it's a good intention thing to want to say those things. It just usually doesn't turn out so hot. But we find ourselves in that. And I ask the question, why? Why is it so easy sometimes for us to not do what we believe? Why is it sometimes so easy for us to do something even with good intentions, but end up not really reflecting God in those good intentions? And then the final thing I'm going to say is, why is it sometimes that even we, what is the hope really even in this place when we find ourselves continuing to mess up with those places that we don't want to be anymore. Things we don't want to make the mistake of. Not wanting to make people feel ostracized or wanting to make our family members Christ followers. Wanting them to be loved. Wanting to represent Christ well. But some of our actions sometimes don't reflect that. What's the hope in that? So, as I said, God's already promised that we would get to see his glory. But I just want to shoot out a few expectation things. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, it says, No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you. That is not common to human experience. Nor is any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance, but God is faithful to his word. He is compassionate and trustworthy. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but along with the temptation, he will provide the way out as well, so that you will be able to endure without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. So, there's a place that God will not bring us to a place that we are forced to make one decision that's a bad decision. There's no weight that will cause us to sin. God has prepared a way and all thanks for us to escape. But what are we escaping to? Not only that, but why is it that even, I don't know about you, we look at kind of going forward, 
we look at things and does your mindset, does my mindset reflect that all the time? Looking for the out to where God is. Is it, is it so easy? Is it easier for us to say that we've been overtaken and enticed by something? Be it our judgment, be it our fear, be it the not wanting to change, comfort, be it the thing that like ultimately, like we want an idea, but sometimes we don't want to work for it. Is it easier sometimes for us to make an excuse why that hasn't happened than to find out to transform or adapt into what we need to do? I think so. But a lot of the times we can look at this verse, we agree with it, we believe it, but we don't know how to apply it. So as we go on, Hebrews 4.15 reads, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weakness and temptation, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. So God knows exactly how you are. He knows all the struggles. So all the struggles he is in with us, he knows exactly the weight of them, and he'll choose a way out. Do we believe, even a little bit, that God doesn't understand how hard things are for us? I, I'm not going to answer that for anybody, because I don't know. It just, that's what comes to my mind as I think about this. Is like, There's some places where we have this imagination God doesn't understand. He just, there's unexpected. But then there's the other side where even though these things might be true, we might believe these things, we have different expectations than our beliefs. So our expectation, we read something like, he knows all the struggle, but he did not sin. Will we know that the scripture says that we are supposed to follow Christ and be sinless? Yes. But, our expectation becomes our expectation becomes that we will always find the out if we don't then we suck if we don't choose the right ways then we either a or b right we either have hyper grace or we don't have any grace so the hypergrace side says, hey, it's fine. Jesus got it. Which, at some point, it dishonors him. But then the, the no grace side says, I have this expectation where I need to be perfect. Or at least I need to look perfect. But at the end of the day, that only perfects the flesh. And especially when we keep coming back to a point of whose glory am I going to see? Whose glory am I going to see? I'm going to see God's glory. That's what he promises to Lazarus' family, at least, right? And we see in a lot of other places that we are partakers and witnesses and testifiers of his glory. But within that expectation of my perfection, within that expectation, even though my belief is that there's always a way out, my belief says all this, I sometimes forget that Christ 
isn't just a taskmaster who's expecting me to get things done, but that he's ultimately a savior who walked this walk and compassionately experiences it with me. Even when we go to Romans 7, 15 through 19, right? For I do not understand my own actions. I am baffled and bewildered by them. I do not practice what I want to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate and yielding to my human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity. Now, if I habitually do what I do not want to do, that means I agree with the law, confessing that it is good, morally excellent. So now, if that is the case, then it is no longer who do it, the disobedient thing which I despise, but the sin nature which lives in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. My human nature, my worldliness, my sinful capacity for the willingness to do good is present in me. But the doing of good is not. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. I think that that was the first hip-hop album that came out. And uh, before, this is after Jesus, so you know. What, 23 AD, first rap single right there. It was number one hit, but uh, at least the joke was lost on me. I'm sorry. I think I'm funny. I apologize for my cheesiness sometimes. But there's a place where we find we have all these beliefs. We have all these ideas. Going back, the standard is follow Jesus, do not sin. We remember that part, judge ourselves, or we make excuses. But in that, some of the excuses we make end up saying, well, there's no way out. But we see from the scripture, it says very clearly there's a way out. But what's that way? And especially, what kind of heart position allows us to fall in that place? Well, it's one that does not do what it wants to do. So in this place, In fact, we're in a battle with ourselves. We habitually fall. And I would argue this is a part of growth. The part of transformation. As we come to places where we have to acknowledge I need help. That I can't do it. That honestly, I keep doing what I don't want to do. And like... A real world, this is like our rock bottom sometimes. It's a recognition that even though I know what to do, even though I understand even how to do it, I sometimes don't do those things. In fact, even my intent to do good, sometimes I do bad. It's like my intent is to love the driver in front of me who just cut me off, and they hit their brakes, and started screaming obscenities at me. But instead, I shake my hand at them. You! Was that loving? No. I think, to be honest, confession of the day, my most unsaved place of the day is when I'm driving in traffic. But that's okay. Pray for mercy on me.
<laughs> I'm just playing with you guys. No. Um, in all reality, there is a place in our growth where as we're learning to walk, we're going to continue to come to these places where you, where me, where friends, where brothers, sisters, where strangers at the end of the day are not just in this magical dream expectation that they're going to instantly make it. It's not like I can all of a sudden go to one tap dance class and I'm Freddie Astaire. In that same walk with God, there's real places where as I'm trying to become more like Christ, as I'm trying to walk more in holiness, what ends up happening? The truth is, is that it shows me the desperation need inside of me. That there is a real place that I'm going to try and choose holiness. But in the process, what it shows me, by me not being able to look at anything other than the fact that when I'm left to myself, I continue to make those decisions. Maybe it's not the same decision, because making the same decision at some point stops being ignorance, but we're talking about we find ourselves in these places that don't reflect God as we go into those new places. If I could just be a cookie cutter, if I can instantly just do those things, then I would be pretty glorious, wouldn't I? I'd be pretty awesome. I might even be a superhero. What would I call myself? I'd call myself Mr. Epic. You know, and my dreads would be magical. But in reality, I'm trying to live in a world with whose glory am I seeing? God's. So what it says to me is as soon as I hit that place where I am recognizing I can't do it, I need help, guess who gets to swoop in like the superhero he is? The Savior, the one who I need. Actually, me being in need and recognizing that I don't do what I want to do, even though I want to do it, which is what, in essence, us crying out to God to say, hey, save me from sin. As you saying that no matter what, there's a real place of, for us that we choose sin. So Jesus, save us. And I, I find that we all in our learning and growing process continue to find this place where we grow closer to Jesus because we recognize more and more why we need him to save us. And as we need him more and more to save us, we actually re- recognize more and more the sweetness that he's been. We recognize the realities of his walk, the value of his impression, the ways that he has been, even as a God who made himself man to struggle through the same things as me. It's not an impossibility, but his glory is even more glorious because he knows. When we look back at the verse of the day when we read through John 11... There's just a few things I want to hit on really quick, especially within the subject. It's probably not clicking with a lot of you guys what I'm streamlining through. I hope it is. If it's not, it'll wrap up in a minute. And um, 
us needing God in this place when we do what we don't want to do as Savior is the gospel. That place where we recognize we're in need and our Savior is gladly there to save us into intimacy. We see stage front. Stars are set. They hit up Jesus. This brother's sick. He's out Bethany. He's not dead yet. And pretty much they hit up Jesus. Jesus is feeling it. They end up going ahead and going, seeing him, resurrecting him. That's a real fast-forwarded version. But there's three points I want to hit on really fast. The first one, Jesus seems to take a long time to come. There's sometimes in this rescue process, just like for Lazarus' family, that it feels like Jesus and God takes a long time to show up. Even to when it seems like we're dead. Seems like we're dying. And our answers have these deadlines. They have these places that limit us. Now, I'm not talking about, in reality, there is real deadlines in life. But what I'm saying is, like, we have these impossibilities. We say, God, you got to show up by this time. you got to do these things. You have to answer now. And he's just taking his time. That's what it feels like. He could have been there two days earlier. Would have been a totally different game. But we have to look and see if he would have arrived. Let's say he arrived when Lazarus was alive and healed him. What's so different than a doctor at that point? He could have healed him before his spirit left the body. There was other people who could do that. We see scripturally that like doctors sometimes did those things. We see that honestly that's why they had the belief that you could you could save somebody within 3 days. Now, I can't answer why. Um, I'll definitely look it up. I mean, I know it's that the spirit leaves the body at that point. But I, I don't know where that comes from. But even in that place, Jesus showing up that early, there's a lot of things it would say, he's a great doctor. He's just like, he's the best of people. But even for him to show his glory... There was more he had in mind. Even the fact that he was taking a long time. But the truth is he already had his eyes set on what he was going to do. The second thing is is that he experienced it. So we see at the beginning of the chapter he says that he promised that he would heal the disease, he would make sure he lived, and that God's glory would be known. Shows that right at the beginning. He's already got the vision, already got the place to go, he already says the idea. He travels, going slow. They're like, man, you, man, you should have been here. He's like, oh, I'm here. 
and I have my eye on a specific goal, I still have not turned my back on what I promised to do. They say he's dead. You see, Jesus wept. He cried. He felt it. He experienced it. He broke down. Then it's like, take me to it. And then the final point is he moved with the miracle and with the rescue in mind. So, kind of going back over those points real quick. Jesus took a long time. Sometimes for us, it is forever, it seems like it takes. Or it's not within our time window. But God shows up with an intention in mind. But when, even if it's after what feels like something died or we've gone through pain or we had to experience something, when God does show up, He shows up in a place where He experiences it with us. Sometimes He weeps. That's why there's verses that say that there is wisdom in mourning. Like, sometimes He weeps. Sometimes He's celebrating with us. Sometimes He's overjoyed. But He experiences it with us. There's a place where then he never, even though he's experiencing it, he never lose sight of what his goal is, which is for his glory to be made known. From the beginning of this chapter to the end of this chapter, well, the beginning until the end of Lazarus' story, we see multiple times he says that he was going to let the glory of God be known. Didn't I tell you I'm going to make the glory of God known? And then he resurrects Lazarus, though everybody was thinking it was impossible. And in that place, he moves throughout the whole story, whether what the details are with the same expectation that God be glorified and his power would be above all. And he would show himself as the one who's the answer to the problem that people think is impossible. So as we feel like God's taken forever, or something's lost, or we've experienced this place where there's death or pain, God shows up, He experiences it with us. But then, as He shows up, He shows up with the mind that He's there to rescue us. He's there to save us. See, When I talk about we do what we don't want to do, there's a place where our actions don't reflect what we want. And we can't change that. We can make decisions that change specific behaviors, but we can't change the fact that sometimes we find ourselves facing things initially that don't reflect what we believe, that don't reflect our stance with Christ. All of our choices don't reflect Christ's heart. And in that place, as we step into it, we get to see that we have a rescuer who's coming. Now, as we're waiting for that rescuer, sometimes it feels like a real long time. Even when we talk about our past pain, sometimes it feels like a long time. Because any moment where the answer is not had, It's a long time waiting. But when he does show up, he experiences with us. And 
Sometimes we're shocked, sometimes we're in disbelief, and sometimes we're irritated. Because like, where were you when I was going through it, God? But the beautiful part is, he hasn't lost sight of where he's purposed to save you and glorify himself. Because there's not one thing that we've done that shifts that place of where he's chosen, he's saving, and he is being experienced. I want to go back and read Hebrews again. Hebrews 4.15 and 16 this time says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help the time of need. Blessing, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. It says, therefore let us approach the throne of grace with confidence and without fear. When we have that expectation that we're going to be perfect, it's really hard. When we have that expectation that we can do it without God or Christ, or we don't even know why we need Jesus, it's really hard to present ourselves before that throne of grace, especially without fear. See, he does understand. It's not like he is somebody who doesn't get it. He knows why you fall. He knows why you make the decisions you make. It doesn't change the fact he's chosen you. He's chosen me. He's chosen us. He's chosen our friends who keep falling, who we have struggles forgiving. He's chosen to give them and die for the chance to save them so that he can be experienced. And in that place, because he knows, because he knows why's, because he knows how's, the biggest invitation he has for us is for us to let it down at the feet of Christ. Let it down before the throne that takes the weight and power away from those things that we have decided so we aren't bound to them anymore. So we don't have to prove something, but rather we can participate with something new. That we aren't trying to make the scales even, but rather we're just able to experience the love and forgiveness of Christ. Because as we have made mistakes, the fact is is that he died for those mistakes. He died for the purpose of presenting us holy before God. And even more so, his blood is more valuable than any of our sacrifices could ever be our sacrifice of our labor, our sacrifice of our money. But he shows up, experiences that pain because he knows it. And he has the will that is saving you every moment. You're like, what do I got to do? He's like, just come to my throne and experience the forgiveness I already have for you. I've already paid the price.
And to finish it off, Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself in his humanity has suffered in being tempted. He is able to help and provide immediate assistance to those who are being tempted and exposed to suffering. He's your answer. As one who knows the struggle, he knows how hard it is, knows you're not going to be perfect, which is why he died, and on top of that, has given us a helper to refine us, a relationship to define us, and a hope to illuminate our way. See, he didn't give us those things just for the fact to perfect your flesh, to perfect your way. He didn't do that so that you are awesome, which there is a lot of awesome people in this church. Don't get me wrong. All stars, five star people. I'm not, I actually really believe that. But there's a place where he didn't make me superhero Stefan, Mr. Epic Man, you know? Dreadlocks of steel that can cut down beams. <laughs> able to do anything. No. But he did give me an invitation to be in a relationship with a God who can transform the earth and the heavens. One who can give me all hope. One who can resurrect the dead. One who can resurrect the hopes in my heart. He gave me one that could forgive me and give me a new identity, give me a new lifestyle, and even more so, he gave me invitation to step into family, something I couldn't have made for myself. And all that was from a God who experienced what I experienced as he came in, transformed me by his goodness, and then led me to a place that I got to experience him and the will that he always had, which is to rescue me. Now he has that same will for you guys. But it doesn't stop at us. The truth is, there is a world waiting for you. It's waiting for you. Waiting for me. Waiting for a people that is able to just let God have us. Let God have us in our weakness to say we're not perfect. But the truth is, guess what? I know my God is. I'm going to do my best to represent him. And in that weakness, I know that he's going to reveal himself more. And weakness is not a place to be ashamed of, but it's weakness is a testimony unto God because that's a place he's rescuing me and making me unified with him. As, I, as we go forward into closing everything down, I just say to you, just as Jesus said about Lazarus, Be unbound and go free. Don't be be bound by your expectations. Don't be bound by the failures of the past because there's a Christ who is unweaving those things and changing even who you are and what you're capable of. He believes so much more of you than you could ever dream. And even more than that, there's a world waiting for the people of God. They're waiting to experience the God that you have. And we have a temple inside of us that resides to be used. And I pray that as we 
just go forward, that it stays in that place where we can see that we have nothing to be ashamed of. As Christ, he was he 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 didn't even worry about that shame of the cross. But in the same way, we have no shame of our weakness because it's actually a testimony of our rescue. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your strength. Thank you for your will. Lord, I pray that I grow more and more radical about the places where I need you. And I pray that for everyone around here. I pray that we could be even more family. That even in this place, we could take seriously the places that say, if we don't cry out, the rocks will. Lord, I pray that we would be living testimonies to this community. That we would be living testimonies to our family. And most of all, we'd be living testimonies to each other. Lord, grow us in love. Grow us in grace. Grow us in peace. Give us strength to make the hard decisions sometimes. And give us the forgiveness and the, the peace to overcome when we don't make the right ones. I pray us as family would continue to carry each other on, especially as we have new members come. Lord, I pray that you would continue to harvest the field, but even more so, that you would continue to illuminate even how we as a family continue, can continue to see you as the head of that family. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.